folks, almost any problem you've got, I'll, I'll, I'll go further than that. Every problem you've got will be solved if you'll give more love to Jesus. And at every moment of your life, sing that refrain, if ever I loved him, I love him right now. Okay, let's sing the benediction and go, <laughs> go home. I, I just feel like that's all we need here. Okay, uh, we're in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 2. And we'll start reading at verse 11 through the end of the chapter, verse 22. Uh, we really are going to finish the chapter today. It's all sort of one unit. Paul has been building up to this uh, moment. He's talked about our salvation, that uh, God chose us before the foundation of the world, that Christ redeemed us, the Holy Spirit has, has uh, sealed us, and therefore we need to understand that we're saved by grace, and this grace is... Um, just all sufficient for our salvation. And we've been looking at that for the past uh, couple of months, actually. And he's been leading to this point because the, the, the application he wants to make uh, in the life of the church at Ephesus is that they need to come together and to be one, even though the dynamics of culture and society would tear them apart and make them two. You see, in the early church, you had this coming together of Jews and Gentiles. And what you have to understand is that Jews spent their whole lives knowing that the Gentiles were a little bit nuts. You know, that those Gentile people, they worship all these pagan gods, they have all these silly sacrifices that, and uh, rituals and things, and they believe these idiotic myths. And, and uh, those folks who are not Jewish, those Gentile people, they're just a little bit off. And if you were a Gentile, you spent your whole life knowing that the Jews are a little bit nuts. They only have one God. That's not enough gods. You need more gods than that. And they have this thing where they, they, they don't work one day a week. They take Sabbath off every day. I mean, how do you get ahead like that? I mean, everybody knows you need to be open seven days a week. Or not, as the case may be. Okay, all right. So... But, but anyways, that, that, that was a Gentile attitude towards the Jews. So what, what you have are Gentiles and Jews, and they are um, just mutually agreeing that the other side is a little bit off. In other words, what you have here are the perfect dynamics of prejudice, where you assign people to another group. Their group's not as good as my group. I don't have to deal with those people because they're in the wrong group. I'm okay right here. These are my people. We're fine. And we'll hunker down and be here. And then an amazing thing happens. People start preaching the gospel. And uh, people like Paul are preaching the same gospel to Jew and to Gentile alike. And it turns out that these, these Jewish people become believers in Christ and they come into the church. And these Gentile people, they, they become believers in Christ and they come into the church and suddenly you have Jews and Gentiles in this church together. Now, old habits die hard. You may not have noticed that. But, you know, they still had these, these, these attitudes of prejudice. And so one of the things Paul wants to do is to, is to get the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles on the same page. And, and here specifically, he's talking to the Gentile folks. He says, you, you need to understand what's really going on in your life and what God is really doing in this thing because that'll keep you from, from having this us and them sort of mentality. And so that's what we'll be looking at today, how Christ brings unity and peace to a church where there are the possibilities of groupings and prejudice, okay?
So that's what we're looking at. Now, before we do that, I just want to point out something real quick. And it has to do with the Trinity. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity is something that many Christians sort of shy away from. Um, we're, we're afraid somebody's going to ask us to explain it. There's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but there aren't three gods, there's only one God, but all three of the persons are God, and we're just saying this is like a really bad word problem in math that I, you know, that I could never solve. Now, there's a lot of ways to think about that. There, there are some really good ways to think about that, uh, and maybe we'll, we'll go into that later. But what I want for us to see today is that this doctrine of the Trinity is actually woven throughout the Christian message. It's just about on every page of the New Testament. Um, the doctrine of the Trinity isn't something that a bunch of killjoy uh, theologians made up to confuse the rest of us. It is rather a way to hold together the entirety of scriptural teaching about God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, to hold it together all at one time and to be consistent about it. Now, one of the things we say is, well, but uh, the, the Trinity, where, where is that in the Bible? See, I, when I was growing up, nobody ever pointed out the Trinity to me. You, know, you could have told me, well, the Trinity's not in the Bible. I would have said, yeah, that's right. Well, the Word's not in the Bible, but the teaching is. And it's actually on every page, just about every page. And so what I want to do in the next 43 seconds is to point out the Trinity in our passage for today in Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to look, first of all, at verse 18. And Paul is, is uh, talking about what Christ has done for us. But in verse 18, he says, For through him, that is through Christ... We both have access, both as Jew and Gentile alike, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All right? That's why you're putting in your margin right now a little T for Trinity. You're underlining this verse. You say, well, there it is. Why is it there? It's there because it is so woven into the Christian gospel. The very first sermon ever preached by a Christian, and I'm going to say Peter on the day of Pentecost, the very first sermon was a sermon about the Trinity. You remember this? Well, you will in a minute. Because, you know, the, the, the folks came out and they said, you know, what's all this going on? All this bedlam, we're hearing all this noise and people speaking in, their own, in, in, in all these different languages and we understand some of them. And Peter says, look, these guys aren't drunk, as you suppose, but what's really happening is God is fulfilling his promises made in the, in the book of Joel. And here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit of God is being poured out. Why is the Holy Spirit of God being poured out? Because God sent his son, Jesus... You killed him. God raised him. They said, well, what do we do? Peter says, you repent, you'll be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See that? From the very beginning, the Christian gospel has been about coming to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that, uh, you know, maybe we don't have a, a part of the New Testament that's dedicated, you know, chapter and time, the Trinity, how to understand, is because it, it, it was just there as the foundational aspect of the Christian message. It was just so prevalent that anybody writing, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit could just write that down, and everybody knew that. Yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We come to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 18. It says, through Christ, Jew and Gentile alike, through Christ, have access in one Holy Spirit to the Father. Now look at verse 22. He says much the same thing. 
in him that is in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in Christ, we are being made a temple, a tabernacle of the presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would worship the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to get a sense that the doctrine of the Trinity isn't there to confuse you. It's actually to lead us into the depths and the profound nature of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? So just wanted to give that to you, but let's return now to verse 11 and read through it. And therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, this morning I just thank and praise you for missionaries, people who left their homes, their families, went to another country with another culture and another language and were willing to learn about another people that they might be fitted to share Christ in other lands. I thank you that we are all the product of some missionary somewhere who was sent at some time to share Christ and to go across a border and across an ocean to a new land. Father, I pray for our missionaries today. I pray that you would give them comfort and encouragement. I pray that you would allow them to see the fruit of their ministry and their labor, that many to whom they witness and preach and teach might be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray for their well-being, their families, Father. But especially I pray that the word would go forth through our missionaries and that the whole world would come to know that Jesus Christ is absolute sovereign and Lord. Father, make us faithful and diligent in our prayer and our support, but Father, also in the mission field that you've given to us, that we too would share Christ with those around us. Father, I pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I appreciate about this church, which means about you folks, is that for the most part, this has been a very peaceful church. Uh, in the last 37 or so years that I've been here, uh, we've had a few squabbles. You put enough 
people in a building and they're, they're going to collide with each other at some point. So every now and then we've had just a few uh, discussions or so forth. But uh, what I'm really thankful for is that in our church, um, it, it seems as though we've, we've found a way to make peace. I really appreciate this when I meet with my fellow pastors at, and uh, the subject of church harmony uh, comes up. Uh, this happened a few years ago, and uh, one of the pastors was sharing about his church, and he didn't really need to say much because uh, that church had a reputation for being a contentious, uh, striving church with one another. And uh, he was sharing about that, and we, we were all understanding what he was saying. But, but at one point he said, guys, what I want you to know is that my sons won't go to church now because of the way their church treated their daddy. And I was just so thankful that I had a church where I could go to my sons and say, look, if you're ever wondering what to do, you're ever unsure what a Christian ought to do, and I would point out a man in the church, and I'd say, just be like him. It might be Papa Dewey. Some of you remember Papa Dewey? Yeah, you remember. Great saint, gone home to be with the Lord now. But, but you could just say, you know, David, John, just... Be like Papa Dewey, and you won't go wrong. You'll be fine. And there were other names that I would use that I'm not going to repeat because I don't want them to get big heads. But, um, but this church is filled with men like that that I could point to and say, you be like that. I'm so thankful for this church. Because in, in so many congregations, the, you have turf battles. You, you know, this is my little kingdom. Don't you trespass on my ministry and what I'm doing. And, and what, you moved the chair in my room. How dare you? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, we, we haven't experienced a lot of that um, here in, 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 in our church. And so I'm very, very thankful about it. Um, it is so easy for churches to have struggles, though, and have contentions. My... Uh, uh, my father was a uh, pastor of a church for 12 years here in Maryland, and um, what, what would happen is a, a group of people would get upset, and they'd say, Pastor, we're going to leave the church. And so he'd go out, and he'd sit with them, and he'd talk with them, and frankly, he would just love them until they would come back. And they'd come back, and then a little while later, Pastor, we're going to leave the church. And he'd go out, and he'd love them, and, and they'd, they'd come back. And so he just outloved them. Until one time they figured out, we can't give it to the pastor. I know, we'll go after his wife. And they did. They came after my mother, and they did a few things. And uh, she was very gracious about it. But dad, being the gentleman and the good husband that he was, said, well, I'm not going to subject my wife to this. And, uh, and he resigned the church. Um, but it's simply to say, I, I know what, what contention is like. By the way, one thing I learned from that is there's some things worse than when you leave. Sometimes it's when you stay. So, uh, uh, you know, just uh, uh, understand that the threat doesn't, doesn't work anymore. But, um, uh, but there was a, a, a contention there and a strife there. And it, it's not something that's unique to one congregation. I think it's probably more unique when you have peace and harmony going on and uh, so forth. And so um, just with that sort of as a way of thinking, more abstractly, this isn't like, oh, we've got a problem in our church that we need fixing. But so much as let's do some preventive maintenance 
uh, let's just get ahead of the curve and ahead of the, of, of, the, uh, of the strife thing. And let's see what Paul says about it when he's talking about how Jews and Gentiles are brought together. These two groups that, that are convinced that the other side is a little wacko. Uh, let, let's see, how does Paul say God brings us together in the one body of Christ? He starts out and he says, look, I want you guys to remember, those of you who are called the circumcision, in quotes, and uh, by those, or, or the uncircumcision, by those who call themselves the circumcision. And then in verse 11 there, he adds that little phrase. He says, but it's all done with hands anyway. So it, it, that, that's all outward stuff anyway. That's all just stuff that you do. It's not about the heart and it's not about uh, the, the person inside. You're, you're dealing with folks on, on the basis of some calculated uh, kind of external factor rather than looking at a person as an individual human being. You can almost see him talking to the Jews and say, look, you know, you need to get past this thing where you're labeling everybody and, and look at the actual person and see who they, they are. Well, that's sort of in verse 11. He says, those of you who are Gentiles, you know, and, and the, the, um, uh, the Jews aren't, aren't too hot on you. But anyway, uh, you need to remember, verse 12, you need to remember that you were without Christ and you were wa- without a homeland and you were without hope. So that's, that's where we all start. Now, Paul's had plenty to say about the Jewish need for salvation. Uh, you remember from when uh, we were working our way through Romans, one of the points that, that Paul uh, made very strongly was that, well, the Jews have an advantage. They have the promises and the oracles of God. They've got the word of God and they've got the promises that God gave about sending the Messiah. And so they sort of know where this whole thing is heading. So the Jew has an advantage in that. That's why in Ephesians he says, those, those people are, are, are near. They're like really close to where God wants to, to bring them. They're, they're near and they're close. He says, but that's not what salvation is about. And that's not what God is looking for, not, not a religious performance and not just some kind of real uh, attachment to a particular religious system. So we know what Paul would say uh, to the Jews from our time in Romans. But now to the Gentiles, to frankly, people like me. He's saying, you have to understand, you were without Christ. You had no idea what God was doing in, in sending a Messiah. Can you imagine? Can you remember what it was like when you didn't know the most beautiful story ever told about the most wonderful man who ever lived, who brought us the majestic truth of God and died for our sins? Do you remember what it was like when your life had, at best, maybe some human philosophy or some ideas or some cultural directions, but you were without Christ? See, without Christ, we are dead. Without Christ, we have no home. That's what Paul says when he said you were alienated from the people of God, from the people of Israel, and uh, you, you didn't have the covenants and you didn't have the promises. You see, God was doing an amazing thing through the children of Israel. He was doing an amazing thing through the Jews. He was preparing a people so that when the Messiah came, when his son was incarnate and born into the world, his son would be placed in the midst of folks who had sort of a running start on understanding what he was going to say. 
So that when Jesus talked about the Father, the true and living God, there were folks who would say, yes, I understand that. I know who you're talking about. When Jesus talked about the will of God and the righteousness and the holiness of God, there were people who would say, yes, I understand about our need for holiness and righteousness before God. So that when Jesus talked about all that the Father would do by his grace in the lives of those who would respond by faith, there were at least some people who said, well, at least we know this God you're talking about. You know, sometimes we get down on the Jews that, well, they didn't get everything. Look, you didn't get everything either. But understand, God prepared a people with a rich heritage and a culture and an understanding of Scripture so that when Jesus spoke and taught and when Jesus did miracles, they, they at least had a running start on what God was doing in Christ Jesus. Paul said to the Gentiles, said, you didn't even have that. You didn't even have a running start in it. God had to start with scratch from you in your life. And the wonderful thing about it is that that God did, in fact, do that. He said, so you, you, you didn't even have a home in what God was doing. And he said, you were without hope. You notice what he said? He said, and you're without God. The Greek word there is, by the way, atheos, atheist. Um, the Greeks were not atheists. They believe in God. In fact, they believe in a bunch of gods. They believed in more gods than you did. They had a really good system because no matter what, you, what was going on in your life, there was a God for that thing. You know? they, they didn't have this one God fits all thing. They, 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 they had a God for every particular need and you could find that God. He was a specialist and, and you didn't even need a referral and, and, the, and you would pray to that God and he would work things out for you. They had gods coming out of their ears. <laughs> we have statues of people with gods coming out of their ears. That is not true, and don't quote me on that. And please don't Google it. You'll be embarrassed. But anyway, uh, but they, they had tons of gods. But Paul said, you were without God. You did not know the true and living God. You did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You did not know the God who had promised to send Messiah. You were without God. And as a result, you were without hope. So that's who we are. That's where we start. Without Christ, without a home without hope but this would be verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ one by the temple sacrifices it wasn't by the sacrifice of an animal over and over and over again and once a sacrifice was made you needed to get the next one ready because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins we were lost in our sins but the blood of Jesus shed for us fulfilling the sacrificial system of Israel and showing the real meaning of what it meant to pour out your life as a sacrifice. Jesus dying for us. His blood has brought us near to God. The blood of Jesus brings us near to Christ. And folks, there's no other way but through the blood of Jesus. No other way at all. And sometimes in the churches, you know, we'll, we'll have our problems because we'll think, yeah, you needed the blood of Jesus, but I was pretty much okay. Yeah, you, you really needed that grace thing, but I, I only needed a little, little seasoning of grace. I was pretty much okay. Point of fact, all of us were without Christ, without a home, and without hope. But it's the blood of Jesus that has brought us in and brought us near unto God.
That's what we've been talking about all through chapter 1 and in the first part of chapter 2. The grace of God. By grace we are saved through faith uh, for good works. And so um, the, the first thing we need to understand is that we are brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus brings us near to God. Secondly, then Paul says, he himself is our peace. He's made both one. He's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, this is how Jesus, the blood of Jesus, brings us near now to one another. Um, the, the, the people who read this, and particularly the Jews, would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. In the temple in Jerusalem, one of the architectural wonders of the world at the time, but in the temple in Jerusalem, there were sort of concentric circles, if you will, of, of how close you could get to God. In the temple itself was the Holy of Holies. This was a, a room into which nobody could enter except the high priest, and that only once a year. And if he did, he better have the blood of the atonement with him. And only once a year, one man could go into the Holy of Holies. It symbolized the very presence of God. Then outside of that was a room called the Holy Place. And into the Holy Place, just a few priests could come on a rotating basis. And they would just come into the Holy Place to take care of the table and the showbread and the oil and, and the lamps and, and those kinds of things. And, the, and, and they would minister in the, in the Holy Place. But only a few priests could go in there. And then the next place was just outside the door and it was called the court of the priests and there the Levites the the class of priests they could minister and offer the sacrifices and the people could watch them as they as they brought the sacrifices of the people to God and then outside of that across a, a, a barrier of, of steps really uh, it, it would be what was called the court of Israel it should have been called the court of Israeli men the men of Israel because that's where only men who were Jewish could come and they could stand there and worship God and a little further away was what was called the court of the women and it should have been called the court of the Israeli women because their Jewish women could stand they couldn't get as close as the men they were farther and farther away and on the very out reaches of the temple, you would find something called the court of the Gentiles. It's called the court of everybody else. And there were some Gentiles who wanted to worship God. We have historical records of, of wealthy Gentiles bringing like a hundred bulls in um, to be sacrificed to God as a way to just sort of honor God. The Roman government, by the way, every now and then would send a hundred bulls to be sacrificed sort of as a PR thing with the Jewish state. Uh, but that was the court of the Gentiles, and they were out there. A lot could be said about that. But separating the court of the Gentiles from all the Jews. See, in these other levels, there wasn't a wall. There was just an understanding. I mean, if you're a Jewish man, you knew, well, I can come here, but I can't go there because that's just for the priest. If you're a Jewish woman, you'd come up and you say, well, I can come here, but I can't go there because that's just for the men. But as a Gentile, they didn't trust you. So they built a wall around it. They kept you out, and they put a sign on it. And we have copies of this sign in, in several versions, but basically the, the sign they put on the wall for the, to, to, to uh, separate Gentile from Jew, the sign on the wall said, no foreigners allowed. Different words were used, but basically that meaning. No foreigners allowed. If you cross this line, you'll be responsible for the death that follows. It's sort of like, we're glad to see you when you're here, your family. But cross that line and you're dead. You know? There's limits to this thing. So that wall had always been separating Jew and Gentile. And Paul says, 
by the blood of Jesus, that wall, that dividing wall has been torn down. It's almost like when Jesus died, you know how the, 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 the veil in the temple, it was a curtain separating Holy of Holies from the Holy Place, and, and it, this big, long curtain, and it was split in two when Jesus died on the cross. I can't prove this from Scripture. Nobody will be able to give evidence for it, but I kind of feel like when Jesus died on the cross, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. He opened it up a way that, that people like me can now walk into the, the holiness of God into the tabernacle of God. And not only did he break down that wall, oh, praise God, he, he, put, he tore down the, the barrier, the wall between us and the Holy of Holies. We enter now into the very presence of God because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He's torn down the wall of hostility. You know, this is an amazing thing for which he deserves all glory, honor, and praise for all eternity. You see what God has done in Christ? He's brought two groups that would squabble and argue with each other. And he says, you know, you're going to get to me by the exact same path through the blood of Jesus. That's how you are made one person. Not two groups, but one group now. Not only has he broken down the dividing wall of hostility, in the next verse he says, and he did this by abolishing the law and it's expressed in ordinances. Um, and you say, well, what's going on here? Because Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Here's what's going on. The Jews took the law of God. The, the law was God's expression of how we can live to please him. It wasn't designed to save us. It wasn't designed that, oh, if you measure up to this, then you're okay. It was simply to say, here's the aiming point. Here's what God wants. If you want to live according to the holiness of God, here's what the law says you should do. Then the Jews kept adding details, little additions explanations, ordinances that had to be kept as well. Paul says when Jesus died on the cross, he took away all that legalistic religion. He just took it right out of the way. And we don't have to, to worry about legalism. We want to please God and keep his word. And there's plenty in the word that talks about what we need to do. And we need to take that very seriously. But coming before God isn't a matter of keeping the law. It's simply a matter of walking into the presence of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the blood of Jesus has done. And there's only one way. And so the Jew and Gentile, the two, have been made one by the abolishment of this uh, system of legalistic religion. And that has put to death the hostility between Jew and Gentile. Look, I know there's a problem with anti-Semitism. There always has been. Um, I kind of feel like wherever God's chosen people are, there's folks who are so afraid of God that they've got to go after God's people. That's another discussion for another time. But here's the deal. In the body of Christ in the church, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's simply one person in Jesus Christ. And that's what brings us together. That's what gives us our peace. Well, just very quickly to close off, we'll just go to the end of the, the scripture. He says, so you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Oh, do you realize what joy we have now? See, for, for years, decades, for centuries, for over a thousand years, the Jews would say things like, our father Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son to God. You know, and that's a, such a noble thing and such a beautiful story. But now, Jew and Gentile alike, we lock arms together and we say, but God sacrificed his son for us. 
You see, it used to be that only the Jew could say, Moses was our deliverer, and he hit the rock, and water came out to sustain us and give us life. Now, locked together, Jew and Gentile alike, we say, but Jesus Christ is the rock from whom flows the water of everlasting life. It used to be the Jew would say, well, our king David was a great king, and he sat upon the throne of David, and we are the ones to say, locked arms with Jew and Gentile alike, but our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the Lamb seated upon the throne and we worship him throughout all eternity. Oh, and the Jew would say, well, the prophets have given us the word of God and locked together with Jew, with Jew and Gentile alike, we say, but Jesus is the word of God. You see, now we are brought into the commonwealth of Israel and in a very beautiful way, Israel is brought into to the fulfillment of what they have known all these centuries. See, we've been made one. And so Paul says, well, now Jesus is building us up. I'm just uh, skipping through to be very quick about it. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Read that as New Testament, Old Testament, if you like. It's a little more ornate than that, but that's a good way to think of it. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. A lot could be said about that. But in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jew, Gentile together. Why? in order that God would be worshipped, praised, and adored, and glorified in us. He says, in him you are being built together, a dwelling place for the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the secret of harmony and peace in the body of Christ in the church? It's just this, when we get it straight in our heads, that the blood of Jesus is what has saved us, and has saved us so that with one voice we would honor and glorify God. Think about it. Probably in your life, a lot of the places where you're having contention and strife, a lot of places where you're arguing with other people, some of it's being manufactured and a lot of it's being um, sort of exacerbated because you've forgotten that your task in life is to glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times as, as, as Christians, you know, even in, in the church, when we're arguing with each other, it's because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. And we think the most important thing is that we do the program this way, or we have the chair set up this way, or we have this color of, of, of whatever, you know, take your pick. We didn't argue over the color of the carpet. I just told them what color. <laughs> After I asked. <laughs> There's some people I'm afraid of. But anyway, <laughs> but the, 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 the point is sometimes we get in these little silly arguments that when we stand before the throne of God are just going to just go away. Let them go away now. So, you know, here, here's, here's the picture that we're looking at. For peace and harmony, for, for unity in the body of Christ, it is to be together, eyes on Christ, focused on him, knowing that the blood of Jesus is what has brought us here for the purpose of glorifying God. And let that be the whole thing. Yeah. And the rest of it, what does it matter? On both sides, okay, <laughs> you know. Um, and as long as we keep our eyes on Christ, we won't go far wrong, will we? I'm going to suggest it's not just churches. It's marriages that will do the same thing. If you, if, you know, marriages with the believing spouses, husband and wife, believers together, and we'll look at that later on in, in chapter 5. But uh, husbands and wives together, believing together, keeping your eyes on Christ, it'll, it'll get you past a lot of, a lot of stuff that happens uh, in the world. So I just give that to you, you know. To you who once were really far off, just remember what God did to bring you near. Not only near to God, but near to one another. 
by the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank and praise you that you are God who is able to use us in our weaknesses, our misunderstandings, and our our shortcomings. Father, just thank and praise you that you are God who is entirely and completely able. Pray now that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in our lives. Just keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus so that in all that we say and do, we just bring out and bring forward who he is, the majesty of his name. And Father, give us that peace that passes all understanding, a peace that comes when we are focused on you. I thank you for it, all in Jesus' name. Amen.